we're not necessarily looking to compete because we're not looking to maximize profits and revenue and and money for our shareholders we're looking to accomplish our mission which often involves collaboration with other nonprofits. so you see this different kind of community where sharing is is prioritized a lot more and how this can affect your business or the product that you're selling is that if you have a good reputation going back to really providing a product that is meeting the needs of that company and helping them fulfill their mission, they're going to be more than happy to, to stick with you and to share you with other companies that may benefit from your services or product as well. Welcome to another episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Roof Team. Today we're joined by one of our managers, Tanner Clark. How are you today, Tanner? I'm doing excellent, Nelson. Nice. Well, getting today's episode kicked off, we're going to be talking about nonprofit early means profit, which is a topic that comes from the novel The Octopus Mine, written by Kevin Johnson. So, Tanner, kicking off today's episode, I want to start start off with a quote. It comes from an author, Napoleon Hill, from the novel Think and Grow Rich. And the quote goes along the lines, opportunity often comes disguised. So when you hear that, what comes to mind? Yeah, definitely it comes to mind to think about things in an open light and to be open-minded because you never know, once again, when your opportunities are going to arise. Um, one of these examples comes from grants is something that I can think about. And I know the author mentions that farther along in his section as well. I don't have a specific thing concerning green roof team, but I, it makes me think of a time years back that my community was looking for grants to redo the parking lot for our community building and they found one however it was for places that had like a public event held on them like a farmer's market okay so the original intent for this grant was or our original desire i should say as a community for this grant was to get the parking lot redone but we had to go about that in sort of uh, a different way sort of an unexpected way because of the grant requirements we the community put a farmer's market together and so the farmer's market has been there now for years it's something that grew out of this original intent to eventually get new pavement put into this parking lot so that's the main thing that I think of when I hear that quote is to look for those opportunities in those places where you least expect, including nonprofit organizations. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Opportunity can be disguised in many different ways. And especially with your example, just taking a small pivot and incorporating new ways in order to meet that criteria can sometimes feel daunting, I would say from experience, but if you can help find new opportunities and help connect more people in your mission down the road, 
could be all for it. Yep. And it's all about, you know, looking back towards um, your why and your ultimate goal. When we like to think of goals, you know, uh, immediately what I think of is, you know, how do we get there? Okay. And I like to, especially once I think of one solution, I like to chase that down and go, go down that rabbit hole as thoroughly as I can. But it's important to keep yourself open to other options because your first idea is, is seldom the best one. You know, if you keep yourself open to other opportunities, you may be surprised where you end up. Definitely agree 110% on that. So just like circling back to your example, um, it's your community and the parking lot. Do you guys continue to do the farmer's market or was it more of a one one and done event? Yeah, it's funny how how that grew out of that original intent. Um, The farmer's market is still something that goes on, at least to my knowledge. I know that there's been... um, there's been stops and starts to it as schedules have changed and as if people, different people have organized it, but it's still something that goes on during the summer, you know, and it still has become a good community function besides just the farmer's market every week. Um, different organizations will tie in different events around the farmer's market. So like in June, I believe there's a strawberry fest and they'll make strawberry shortcake and they'll do other things like they'll serve concessions out of the community building while there's a farmer's market at the parking lot. So there are different things that will correspond to some of the different produce you might see throughout the summer and throughout the season. So I I just always got a kick out of how that was something much more long-term and something that really benefited the community, but it grew out of just trying to get new pavement on the parking lot. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I love hearing about um, your story because it makes me think about a farmer's market out in, uh, I believe Johannesburg, Johannesburg, Virginia. Um, there is a university out there, um, James Madison University, and they have a design lab within the university, and they're focused on helping solve community problems um, in their community. Well, when COVID mm-hmm. began, one issue that they saw easily was how do you have this in-person farm market run where farmers and the local um, producers are relying on to generate um, revenue throughout the year. Especially when COVID hits, you can't do anything in person. So how could they design a solution to help meet their needs? Do you have any ideas when you hear that first pop up? So they're trying to have a farmer's market, but the problem is they can't meet in person. Yes. I mean, oh man, that's that's tricky, but I mean, I assume you're going back to your why. I'm assuming the purpose and the function of that is to enable produce makers to get their goods to produce consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you usually do that with that in-person market. Um, you could, I guess, leverage some kind of online tool like a website so that then you could, people could place orders and then you can ship fill orders and get them to them or like 
you know, you'd have all the suppliers leave their stuff in the parking lot and then buyers come at different times so that you maintain, you know, your distance. Um, I don't know if any of those are stellar solutions, but at least that's what comes to my mind first off. That's actually what they did. They combined those ideas into one. Okay. Yeah. Essentially, they threw together a prototype app where um, producers could create their own um, storefront through this um, web app. And also, mm-hmm. no, like the majority of the producers were, I'd say, um, between 50 and 70 years old. So, not the most techn- technologically savvy. So, they're helping them work and understand how can they create this um, storefront as easy as possible. And then um, consumers can go into the app, pick out what they want ahead of time. And then when Sunday came around, they would drive through the parking lot and it would be in such a way that they're scheduled like in a time slot. So then Mm. volunteers could um, be able to put together a bag and then put it into their trunk and then they could drive away. Yeah. So one of the fastest takeout lines you've ever seen yeah yeah no that's really impressive especially um making it user-friendly for people who aren't so tech savvy you know um farmers and gardeners and producers uh beyond the age of 50 you know that's something that um i find really interesting you know relating back to the blade kit um because I'm always thinking about, you know, how does our design and how does our work contribute and add value to the customer's experience, you know? So that, that user friendly, that user experience, that really, that really piques my interest, you know? Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. The ability to design for not only affordability, but also accessibility, Mm -hmm. designing Mm -hmm. for, belong as i believe is like the parent topic overall yeah and that's something that the author mentioned back you know going back to the topic as well um is having that focus an advantage you know of of looking to nonprofits for accounts and for revenues for your business is that they are very focused on their mission in a lot of ways they're focused on serving that that group or that cause to which you know to which they're in for which they're in existence so if you have a very clear vision on how you're going to help them you know save them time improve their own business that's that's going to be very very in your favor you know at least as much so as with for-profit universe, <laughs> for-profit businesses. Um, yeah. Cool. So before we dive into more about nonprofit standard, how would you describe to someone who is uncertain about the difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit company? Mm-hmm. Simply put, so when you take all of the revenues minus any of the expenses of a for-profit institution they're left with profit that they can either reinvest into the business or they can give to their shareholders you know so that's that's that profit bit right 
the non-for-profits any of that profit because they, they still make profit. The intent is for them to have more revenues than expenses. None of that is distributed to shareholders or anything like that. It's used to go back into the business or it's back going back towards the cause or the causes that that entity exists for. So they both make profit. They just use those profits in different ways. You can kind of think of it as like always reinvesting back in the business, which is what a lot of companies do, especially early on. Cool. And just to put it in context for everyone out, out here, taking a look at back in 2011, the top ranking charities, which would count as nonprofits. You have the Mayo Clinic, $5.1 billion in annual expenses, the YMCA's at 4.5 billion, United Way 3.8 billion, Boys and Girls Clubs 1.1 billion, and then Habitat for Humanity 780 million. So these are pretty high values, right? Oh yeah, yeah. These these are not. We're not talking about small potatoes here, you know. Um, it's just that the profits get used in different ways, but there still is the potential for a lot of revenue and a lot of cash flow through these organizations. And like I mentioned, and like the author mentions, these organizations, like any other, are looking for ways to perform more effectively. So they are most definitely a, a valid business opportunity. Cool. So these nonprofits, they're focused on their mission. Would you say that these nonprofits are willing to take risk with new vendors to save themselves money and find new ways on generating new income sources? Yeah. Um, you know, like any business, they're looking to innovate and stay ahead of the competition. Um, so that desire to save time and save money is is very keen you know and it's in a different context per se than a for-profit institution because you know in in one way i guess ultimately for-profit institutions are there to make their stakeholders specific, specifically the shareholders happy right what's going to make the shareholders happy growth and dividends getting paid back for their stock in the company so as long as they're doing that they don't actually necessarily need to be performing at their absolute peak usually those would correlate but i could see circumstances where that's not the case now with a nonprofit, they're more so focused on their mission whatever that mission may be you know take a look at some of the businesses previously mentioned they have a lot of different purposes but whatever that mission is that's what they're focused on so they're not going to be focused solely on making money it's a big part of it don't get me wrong but they're also going to be focused on that mission and if you are providing a product that will better enable them to achieve those goals, that's something that they're going to be very keen to hear about. You know, we actually had a <clears throat> individual earlier this year who works at nonprofit Revolve Solar, 
come on to the show. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, so if anyone's interested in hearing more about a nonprofit that does work in solar energy, take a look at episode 29 with Sydney Munez. So she dived into more about their mission and what they do um, day to day and year to year as a nonprofit. Um, involved is focused on working with other nonprofits for finding ways on installing solar and then using the revolving door on using the finances coming in to be able to fund the project, but then also provide the revenue down the road for them. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. their main mission, but then they find ways on help, um, working in the community. One of the biggest and I would say most interesting endeavors from uh, my own personal opinion is they work with different university students. They have several chapters in different universities across the U.S. where they have the students working and assisting with the solar installation so they can get that hands-on experience. Yeah, that stuff's, that stuff's critical to to make that community impact. And I know that that's something that resonates very strongly with Green Roof Team and the kind of culture that we want to build of educating and empowering everyone involved with our company to improve their own communities the best way that they see fit. Another thing that um, stood out to me from, from what you were just mentioning is that relationship with other nonprofits. Um, the author, the author of the book also mentions that as well, that in general, the nonprofit community tends to be more tight knit. It's, it's almost viewed more as, a collaborative effort effort than a cutthroat competitive effort you know so i guess for an example i'll, I'll juxtapose that to what you may potentially find with for-profit institutions so if you are providing a product or a service to a for-profit institution they might very well want to keep that as a you know a secret as a trade advantage as a as a competitive advantage against other competitors within that business space, right? So they're not going to want to share your contact information if you're providing a service that makes them better than their competition. If we shift then to nonprofit institutions, that that perspective can be a little different, right? You know, we're not looking to we're not necessarily looking to compete because we're not looking to maximize profits and revenue and and money for our shareholders we're looking to accomplish our mission which often involves collaboration with other nonprofits. so that you see this different kind of community where sharing is is prioritized a lot more and how this can affect your business or the product that you're selling is that if you have a good reputation going back to really providing a product that is meeting the needs of that company and helping them fulfill their mission, they're going to be more than happy to, to stick with you and to share you with other companies that may benefit from your services or product as well. So in that way, it's, it's a win-win. Cool. Yeah, I would say that's one aspect that I have not thought about before, the ability to have that trust and the impact it has more on the PR side and being able to make more connections down the road. So Tanner, if you could solve any problem in the world, 
by either working with a nonprofit or starting one, what would it be? Oh, that's insane. That's, that's a crazy thought, but I like it. Um, so like any, any problem, any, any problem, right? Any problem? Maybe one that you've previously worked on the screen roof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We could do that. Um, I think that empowering people to really stay curious and enjoy the learning process is something that I would, is a problem that I would love to fix because you know i've i've mentioned it i've mentioned it before in in previous podcast episodes it is astonishing the amount of information that is at our fingertips you know like like nelson i am talking to you right now through like the magic of electromagnetism and radio waves and satellites flying up in the heavens above us right like we have all of this technology at our disposal and because of that wonderful world worldwide web an individual with an internet with internet access has more knowledge at their fingertips than anybody else in the last ten thousand years right but and I think a cult, our culture has a large part to do with this. There's very much a distaste towards learning and growing in a discipline and learning deeply on a subject. Because often with all of that information, you know, it has the potential to be a blessing, but it's often a curse because we're flooded with, with all this like knowledge with all this information, I should say, but we can't, we can't discern anything from it, you know? So a lot of people, especially our generation younger have these concerns, you know, whether it be the climate or it be social unrest and things like that, that they get told about, they get bombarded with this information, but they don't know what to do with it. So I would love to change and create a culture that empowers people to learn deeply and to say, okay, here, here are my problems. Here are potential ways that I'm going to solve it in, in the best way that I see fit, you know, and maybe they aren't going to change the world, but they can change their community. They can change um, a little bit of the lives of people around them. Right. And when we start teaching each other that we make a multiplicative effort, you know, we're greater than the sum of our parts. And then we can really enable and then bring about real change. So that's something that I would, I would love to continue taking steps towards changing the right direction, building a culture of empowerment and learning. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Um, like earlier today, I was in the library and there's just hundreds of thousand books in there and for me, I reserved the books ahead of time so I can just go pick it up. And I was trying to check them out. And it just wasn't working. I kept getting here, so I went up to the desk. Um, the guy was really nice. And I was like, hey, he was like, how are you doing today? I'm like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? He was like, cool, so I can help you. I'm like, yeah, I got these books. I reserved them, and I'm having a hard time checking them out. And he's like, yeah, 
don't worry, we already checked it out for you. And I'm like, cool, thanks. So I just found out the library, they'll check it out so you can just pick up the books and be on your merry way instead of going through the extra step of, hey, I got from the library card, I got to check it out all over again. And just like thinking about that small moment, it's taking away another step from someone wanting to learn something or read something. It's powerful. So Tanner, coming up towards the end of today's episode, do you have any final takeaways from our conversation on nonprofits? Yeah, going back to the beginning of the conversation and, and where we ended up going, I would just encourage everyone to stay open and to stay curious about the world around them because you can find all kinds of opportunities in the places where you least expect them. Couldn't have said it better. If anyone's interested in learning more about Tanner or about our team here at the Green Roof Team, please take a look at our website, greenroofteam.com. Follow us on social media. And remember, folks, stay sustainable.